I'm Lou Eisen. Welcome to Ring Talk. This is usually how my hair looks all the time. My hair is out of control. In fact, if I got a buzz cut, which I probably will this week, and you'll see next Sunday, it will grow back within a couple of weeks. My 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 uh, daughter says I'm de-evolving. So the picture that you saw at the beginning of the show is one of the all-time great boxing photographs. Uh, Jake LaMotta versus Laurent Dutille, the second time they fought. They had fought a year before, and Dutille beat him. Laurent Dutille was a methodical, cagey fighter. He was a great counterpuncher, and he was quick. And LaMotta was 5'8", and, and uh, um, Dutille was 5'7 half. so the height thing was a saw-off. And, and uh, Lamont had a 67-inch reach, and Dutil had a 68-inch reach. So it didn't really make a difference in that respect. And, you know, the 1940s and 50s was an interesting decade in the middleweight division because at that time there were three world-ranked, truly brilliant fighters from France in the middleweight division. There was the world champion, Marcel Sudan. There was Robert Villemon. And, of course, the great Laurent Dutille, who fought out of uh, Quebec, which was perfect for him. In fact, the first time he fought Jay Clamada, um, he beat him in Quebec. And uh, I just wanted to read you the scores, if I can find it here, because I wrote it down. Yeah, so he fought him the first time, uh, 1949, February 21st, at the Forum in Montreal. And the scores were uh, six, uh, Judge Tony Bergeron had it 6 3 1 uh, uh, for um, Dutil. So did Judge Rene Umet, 6 3 1. And Judge Leon Jeffrenon had it 7 3. All for Dutil. He outfought him. He outfought him and he kept pumping his left hand into Lamada's face. Lamada threw a lot of shots, but he kept missing. He couldn't hit him. And, you know, Dutil stood right in front of him. And, and just counterpunched him well. And it was a 10-round unanimous decision, and he battered LaMotta with both hands, and they said his hands were working like pistons. He was so quick, he kept putting his hands on him. That was the key. He wasn't trying to knock LaMotta out. That wasn't possible. He was trying to, to uh, win the fight, win on points, because the idea is to win. And, you know... He kept hitting Lamada with uh, two, three, four punch combinations to the head. Lamada didn't care. Lamada would take punches like that. He had a hard head. I knew Jake quite well. And um, Lamada, they said, was the aggressor in the fight, but he missed a lot of his punches. He was too anxious. And, you know, it was just one of those things where, where uh, you got cut in the fifth round, I think, to Till, and Lamada got cut in the next round. But still, Detail hung on and, and won. So Detail was a good fighter. He fought a lot of good guys uh, during his career, which I'll get to in a sec. The, the fight from uh, September 13, 1950, was at the Olympia in Detroit, where the Detroit Red Wings played hockey. And it was a wonderful fight. And, you know, it's hard to watch. I was lucky because I watched it for the first time, 2004, with Angelo Dundee and the set of Cinderella Man. And we, there was a company called Circle Films, which hasn't existed in 60 years. Good afternoon to you, too, uh, Scrapbook. And they had a live 
you know, they had this, well, obviously live, but, but this great tape of the fight. But when I say live, I mean, there was a mic in the ring, so you could hear them grunting and groaning. So I got to watch the whole fight. And I'm watching it with Angelo, and Angelo's like, you know, watch this, watch, hitting me in the arm. And the thing about this fight was the till was ahead. He was winning the fight after 14 rounds. He was way ahead. Uh, 72, 68, 74, 66, and 71, 69. Those were the scores all for Dutil. So if Dutil doesn't get stopped in the last round, uh, it would have been a majority decision for him because he still would have won on two of the judges' scorecards, and the last round on one scorecard would have been a draw. So there's no way he could lose the fight. And Dutil is standing there, and what Lamato was great at, and truly great at, what a lot of things, he was known as the Bronx Bull, by the way, and Dutil was known as the Tarzan of Buzenval. And Buzenval is a city uh, in Paris, beautiful picturesque now, a lot of outdoor markets. And Lamada's one of his key defensive tricks was playing possum. So he would take shots and then he'd go against the ropes and he'd let you hit him. And then, you know, as you were punching him, you might hesitate for a sec. And then he'd, he'd swing off the ropes, catch you with a left hand, then a right hand. And he would turn the tables and you'd be on the ropes and he would take you out. When I watched this fight, Angelo Dundee said to me, you know, when it was over, it's still crushing to watch because Lamada caught him with 13 seconds left. Um, in the last two rounds, in the 14th round, he was playing possum and he kept tagging Sudan. But what's Sudan going to do? I mean, that's the story Sudan fought. He's, or it's not Sudan, excuse me, Dotil. Dotil stood in front of him. That's the kind of fighter Dotil was. And you come into the last round, and when Lamada rallies, when he's behind and saves his title, 13 seconds to go, and Angelo was there, he said, that poor dumb bastard, all he had to do was run for three minutes, and he would have been the undisputed world middleweight champion, and he simply couldn't do it. And I said, why didn't he do it? And Angelo said, that's not the kind of fighter he was. He won the fight. He was winning the fight by standing in front of Jake and counterpunching. Jake was missing a lot of shots. He was telegraphing his shots. You know, Dutil was smarter. He was using, you know, a lot of head movement. He was blocking shots, sliding with them, slipping them with them. But Lamana was on the ropes, and Lamana caught him a couple times. And just before the fight ended, Lamana caught him with six shots to the head. But as Angelo said, it was really the second left hook where he hits him and his eyes rolled. And then, just like when Patterson fought Johansson the first time, Dottel doesn't know where he is. So he just, you know, Lamada's on the ropes, and Dottel just walks away, staggered, what's going on. And then, out of nowhere, he doesn't even see it. Lamada catches him with a left, and Dottel goes down, and everyone said, well, the referee gave a fast count. But when you watch the tape in real time, which is hard to get one in real time, that was the way referees counted back then. And Dutil gets up after the count's over, but he's staggering. I mean, he's he's out of it. He's, he walks to his corner, but it was it was such a heartbreaker. Now, Lamada, as you know, the great Jake Lamada uh, was born in the Lower East Side and um, of uh, of New York, and 
he uh, funny when, I, when you're reading about Jacob on his book, he said I was born to Italian parents. Well, duh. And he was born July 10th, 1922. And he lived a long life. I mean, I, I met him quite a few times at the Boxing Hall of Fame in Canastota. He died September 19th, two, 2017 at 95. There's several things about Jake that in the movie Raging Bull were not true. It was put in for effect. He never had an argument with his brother. De Niro and Pesci play out, you know, and Pesci's like the brother that ignores him later on. That never happened. Joey never ignored him. They never fought, not even once. They loved each other. In fact, at the end, last 20, 30 years of their lives, they had adjoining condominiums in Florida. They always got along. Joey was the only guy he trusted. And his uh, mother was Elizabeth, and his father was Joseph Lamada. And his... Um, uh, he, they, people say that he was born in 1921. That's listed a lot, but in fact, he was born in 1922. Mother was born in the United States. Father was born in Messina, Sicily, and who uh, came with family, including his brother uh, Joseph. And the family lived in Philadelphia before returning to New York and settling in the Bronx. Now, it's interesting here that. Um, uh, his uncle, you should know his uncle, Richard Lamada, father's brother. He invented Chipwich, the ice cream sandwich. So they weren't all boxers. But with Jake, but Jake's father, they showed this in the um, movie, uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me, Paul Newman playing Rocky Graziano. And Graziano and him were running partners. I mean, they were both thugs when they were kids. And Jake's father forced him to fight other boys uh, in the neighborhood for pocket change, which is how he helped pay the rent back then. And uh, Lamada was always getting into trouble. As he said, I was a dumb young kid and I didn't go to school. I didn't care. And they sent him to reformatory. And reformatory, it, well, he was sent there because he had attempted an armed robbery. And then he went there. I mean, he couldn't believe he was still alive. He said, I should have been killed a long time ago. And he went there, and, and in reform school, uh, he found boxing. And it was a revelation to him. I can actually get paid real money for beating people up. And he loved the fight. And he thought, I'm going to get in fights anyways, whether I'm in the ring or not. So I might as well get paid for, for doing it. And uh, he was undefeated in his amateur bout, but he turned professional in 1941. He applied to get into World War II. He wanted to fight. Because to him, not only could I fight, I could kill people, which would be great. But he had a uh, mastoid operation on one of his ears as a child. And for the rest of his life, it affected his hearing. Uh, Laurent Dottil was born February 20th, 1924 in France. And sadly died at the age of 47, July 10th. Uh, I still haven't found a reason or uh, uh, for his death. I've been looking. For a long time, checked, rechecked, double, triple checked my archives. I just can't find one. I will try to find one. But he got to Montreal in the 1940s, which was a big thing for him. You know, being speaking French, to have a French outpost in North America where he could launch his career. And he fought a lot of good guys. He fought and beat the Canadian welter Johnny Greco, who was a great fighter. It's sad today that in Canada, most people haven't heard of Johnny Greco, but he was a magnificent fighter. And during his career, he beat a lot of guys. He, you know, Lamada, Tony Gennaro, Eugene Hairston, Steve Beloys, uh, Norman Hayes, 
Blois was the guy that uh, uh, thumbed the great welterweight, number one ranked in the world from Toronto, Sammy Lovespring in the eye, but it wasn't deliberate. Norman Hayes, uh, Patty Young, he beat Bobby Dawson, Tuzo, Portuguese, Luke Van Dam, who was a very good fighter from Europe, and another Frenchman, Robert Charant. But his biggest fight, the biggest victory of his career is when he beat Lamont, because no one thought he had a chance to beat Lamont. And he fought him in Montreal, and it's a 10-round fight. And the, you have to I was thinking about this the other night. The thing about Lamont you have to understand is, and this applied to James Tony years later. James Tony was 6'1. James Tony usually his regular weight was 200 pounds. So Tony had to lose 40 pounds for each fight. When I look back at Lamada's career, he would walk around at 185 to 200. Lamada would have been much better served had there been a super middleweight division of 168 pounds. That would have been the best for him, but it didn't exist back then. And also, later in his career, he fought light heavyweight, which was probably the best for him. But the fact is, you know, being 5'8", he, he would have been, and he was, a small light heavy. And at the time, he wanted to fight light heavy, but there was more money in the middleweights. He would have had to fight a guy like Archie Moore, who, tremendous chin and the greatest knockout puncher of all time. So... Uh, Lamada near the end of its career fought light heavies and heavies because he just couldn't fight anymore to keep his weight down. In fact, I asked him, you know, was he upset about retiring? He said, no, the day I retired, it's the first time I enjoyed a meal since I was a kid. I could actually sit down and have a steak and have dessert and have a drink. And I didn't have to worry about it because Lamada for, you know, five, six weeks before a fight would have to starve himself. You know, he figured, Joey says to him, you got a fight coming up in six weeks, seven weeks, and, and or two months maybe, and he's got to lose, you know, he's at 160, it's middleweight limit. He's at, you know, 185, 200. So at 200, he's got to lose 40 pounds in two or three months, and he's got to do it gradually. And while doing that, he always had a struggle. He's still got to eat. And always, you know, two, three days before he had to weigh in, they would dry him out so he couldn't drink. And he like that was the one thing that was not the one thing, but it was true in the movie when he said, I'll pay you money for just a sliver of ice. He had to dehydrate himself. And finally he'd make the weight. And then he could go and have a meal. And then he could drink because he had started himself to get to the weights. 160 was not his natural weight. And he was doing himself a disservice by fighting at the weight. But because of its size, it was the perfect weight for him. What's he going to do in the 40s? He started at 41. He's not going to fight heavyweight, although he can make the weight because there's Joe Lewis. He's not going to beat Joe Lewis. And he's not going to beat Archie Moore. So he, you know, he, he was stuck as a middleweight. And he was one of the all-time great middleweight champions. Um, he, he had to fight Marcel Serdan for the title. And in order to do that, he had to fight Blackjack Billy Fox. It was a mob-controlled fighter, African-American fighter, and he had to lose to him deliberately. And when I spoke to Jake, I was sitting between him and Angelo at the banquet, at the pre-banquet uh, in Canastota before we go to Syracuse on the bus. This is 2:12, and and uh, um, you know, he says to me, "You know, I'm fighting Billy Fox." And I said, "That must have been a terrible feeling." He said, "Well, I promised the mob I would throw the fight if I don't." Th he said, "Listen." For years, I told him to, you know, F you. I'm not fighting for you guys. 
And finally, Frankie Carbo cornered me one day and said, listen, you know, you thick skull dimwit. It goes through me. You either do what I say or I'll make sure you never get a shot at the title. And what's Lamada going to do? He can't go to the press because Carbo would have killed him and his family. He can't go to the boxing commission because, you know, they're controlled by the mob. He's got to do what he's told. So he takes to die. But he's, but Blackjack Billy Fox was such a terrible fighter. You know, Lamada said the fight starts 20, 30 seconds in. I hit him a double jab in the chin and his eyes roll, his legs buckle. And he said, I held him up. I walked him to the ropes and I just said, calm down, take a deep breath. And he said he could feel him taking a breath, take another breath. Okay, won't hit you to the chin anymore. And then he just hits him to the belly or the chest. But he said, every time I landed a punch, a half-hearted punch, this guy would stagger. And so obviously his, you know, Billy Fox's record of having like 40 wins, whatever, and 36 by knockout or something, was all bogus. They were all fixed. And even though he loses to him in the fourth round and the referee stops it and it's his purse was withheld. He finally got it because he said he was injured. He ruptured his spleen or he heard his spleen in training, which wasn't true. But the commission bought it because they were mob controlled. And they wanted things to continue along that way. Um, Lamada still had to wait three years to get a shot at Sudan. Still had to pay 25 grand out of his own pocket. He said to Garber, you said if I lose to him, I got a shot. My next fight. I didn't say your next fight. I said if you lose to him, you'll get a shot at the title. And you will. I didn't say when, and I didn't say how much it would cost you. And what's Lamada going to do? Argue with this guy who's got, you know, 300 soldiers that are armed? No. He had to pay another 25 Gs to him and wait three years. He fights Sudan. Now, the interesting thing about the um, the Sudan fight, which, which I found um, fascinating, of course, was it's listed in box rec in a lot of places. You'll see that there was a knockdown in the first round. I, you know, he didn't really knock him down. They got into a wrestling match as they were throwing punches. And Sinan went down, landed on the shoulder, and injured his shoulder. And so for the rest of the fight, his left arm was useless. And being an orthodox fighter, he needed that to set up his jab, but also to block Lamada's right hand. And he, he simply wasn't able to. He took a, He kept fighting. you got to give him credit for that. He took a hell of a beating, and it's still a very close fight. But before the 10th round starts, he said, the shoulder, I can't use my arm. I can't lift it. I can't fight this man with one arm. I have, you know, he gives up the title. And he goes over to Jake, and he congratulates him, and he says, you deserve this. And remember to enjoy it and save your money. And at the press conference after, Lamada or Sudan never said he cheated. He threw me down. He did this or he did that. I mean, that's the way Lamada fought. Uh, Sudan said he's a great champion, and I, I wish him a lot of luck. Hope he makes a lot of money. He's a good man, and I look forward to you know meeting him again. And back then, this is what fighters did. You, you had grace and aplomb when you lost. But that doesn't happen today. There's always this guy cheated, the referee cheated, judges cheated, this guy's a bum. I really beat him. I mean, it, at some point, you have to have some self-respect and respect for the fans and for the sport of boxing, and you have to admit, and there's nothing shameful admitting that you lost. Now, that really touched Jake when he did that. He thought, what a good guy. You know, this is a real gentleman. And they were friends. As Jake said to me, it was just business. That's all. 
But he said, outside of the ring, you know, we could talk and laugh and we had the same experiences. It broke Jake's heart because the rematch never happened because on the way back, Sudan's airplane crashed into the Azores. And Jake was really upset because he truly liked him. He truly liked Marcel Sudan. And I don't know if he ever got over that. Because uh, when he would reminisce about it, you know, 2005, 2006 or seven, when I spoke to him, you know, there were tears in his eyes. He said, this was a good man. He was a family man. I don't know how much of a family man he was because, you know, he was having a famous affair Sudan with uh, Edith Piaf, but apparently that was quite common back then. So, um, I mean, Lamada, Lamada went on, he had the title and uh, he was defending it. And then he gets, a, he, he, he lost the first time to Laurent Detail before he was champion. So then same year he beats Sudan, gets the title. And now he's got to fight Laurent Detail again. And this is an interesting fight because Detail had Lamada's number. He knew how to fight him. He was very well trained. And I was just talking to Eric before, the producer here, Eric Boyce, about the fight last night on ESPN where you had Stephen Shaw, Stephen Shaw, fighting F.A. Jagba. And Angry Ward said it perfectly. There was no sense of urgency there. There was no, on, on Shaw's part, there was no, I got to win this fight and my career is over. Back in the 50s and 40s, guys had to fight like that because their career would be over. So from the first round to the 15th round, Dotil and Lamana waged a beautiful war. And every round counted. There was a tremendous sense of urgency. And Lamada's going all out. He knows I got to jump on him quickly. I got to back him up into the ropes. I got to take away his room to counterpunch. I got to be careful of how I fight. But it, but Dotil was too smart. Dotil was great at slipping shots, sliding under them, you know, blocking them, parrying them, countering them. He would just have openings that were traps, Lamada would go for it. He'd duck under it and then counter him. Lamada missed a lot of shots, a lot more shots than he usually does. And his corner, and in his corner, Al Silvani, one of his trainers kept saying, forget his head, go to the body, keep pounding his body. But even on the inside, when you're pounding the guy's body, Dutil was great at getting his arms in the way and covering himself up and making himself small that Lamada was pounding his arms, which is fine. You can pound the guy's arms and elbows and hips. It still slows him down. And, you know, people thought, well, the best way to fight uh, Lamada was to uh, use movement, keep turning him, forcing him to reset. But the tail flipped that on its head. He thought the best way to fight Lamada was backing him up. And that was true. Very few fighters ever in boxing history, other than Ali and Sugar Ray Robinson, were good at fighting backing up. And he kept backing Jake up, and Jake was forced to keep moving backwards, while, you know, which took away leverage from his shots. And the more the fight goes on, the more urgent it gets for Jake because he's falling behind the rounds. His corner is saying, Jake, you know, you gave away the first five rounds. you got to pick it up. And he's picking it up every round, but he's missing a lot of shots. Laurent Dutil had a great career. Uh, his record wasn't as stellar 
as as um, Lamadas. I'm just looking for his overall record here. I have it written down. But he could do one thing well, and that was he could beat Jake Lamada, and he certainly did. So, you know, Laurent Dutil's record at the end was 45 wins, 13 losses, four draws with 24 KOs. Lamada was 83 wins, 19 losses, four draws with 30 KOs. Lamada had a lower KO percentage than Dutil. Lamada wasn't really a knockout puncher. He would beat you with an avalanche of punches. He was really determined. He was indomitable. He was robust. He was the guy that would be all of you. He, you know, he was the Bronx Bull. I mean, later on, Raging Bull, but his first name was the Bronx Bull and nickname. And he was great. This was the fight of the year. And the till, as the fight's coming on, is winning more rounds. He's putting rounds in the bank. And this is a perfect example of what all the old-time great trainers would say. You don't have to knock him out. You're not being paid just to knock the guy out. Although that's what the fans want to see. You're being paid to win. And the other old saying in boxing is look good now or, or win now, look good the next fight. And that's what he's trying to do. So, you know, two, three, four, five rounds. The till puts him in the bank, six rounds, seven rounds. Lamont is winning rounds here and there. He's pushing the tail back. He's getting his body shots in. He's landing these great head shots. And you can see the tail's head's snapping back into the side but he's not his legs aren't buckling he's standing in there he's taking it and he's smart he realizes lamana needs punching room the closer i am to him the less room he has to hit and so these guys are are wrestling on the inside they're leaning on each other they're wearing away each other at the body but the tail's in great shape he realizes this is his one chance and Lamada is desperate, and he's laying traps for Detail, but Detail's not going into it. And Detail is counterpunching him the whole time. He's letting Jake lead. He's letting Jake come after him with the right hand, which he, which you know, Jake throws the right hand. He ducks under it, shifts to his left, hits him with the left to the liver, and then brings the left up to the head. He's using his jab to keep Jake at bay. And when Jake comes in, you know, he'll use a couple of jabs and then he'll throw a straight right hand and hit Jake. And Jake's never hurt. He's taken the shots, and that's the problem. He's taken too many shots, and too many shots are losing him the rounds. And it's getting desperate because seventh, eighth, ninth round, you know, after nine rounds, the tail is ahead. And there's six more rounds to go. So if the first nine rounds, you got to give the tail at least seven or eight rounds. And if Lamada, win or excuse me if the till wins a couple more rounds which he did lamont has got a problem at that point lamont has got a big problem lamont has got to score a knockout to win and that's not going to be easy to do against a guy who's taking his best shots and a guy who who's who's a real tricky slick fighter and a great counter puncher hard to beat a guy like that and the tills pouring it on every round he keeps putting you know, rounds in the bank. He keeps pulling farther ahead. And after, it was a great fight for the first 11 rounds. It was an exciting, close-in, all-action phone booth war with each man trading shots. It just, the tills were more accurate. He was scoring more often and winning more rounds. But from the 11th to the 15th, it was a super fight. It becomes one of the all-time great fights. Because from the 11th round on, the sense of urgency, which we didn't see in fights last night, 
went way up. And LaMotta has got the middleweight title. He had to wait years for it. And he was probably past his prime when he fought Sudan. He was the best middleweight in the world for years before he got a chance at the title. And once he won the title, that's when he cashed in to make money. He didn't want to lose this. He didn't want to give this money-making machine away because then he's not going to get another shot. And if he did manage to get another shot, who knows when it would be and against whom and how much more he'd have to pay them off. He's got to hang on to this title. And so in the 11th round, Jake is a madman. He's full, throwing punches for the full three minutes of the round. He's hitting the tail, but the tail's not moving. The tail's standing in close, and he's getting his own shots in. And Jake is rallying in the 11th, 12th round, 13th round. He's rallying. He's making it a close fight. You know, this is becoming a close fight now. Jake's starting to come back on the cards. He can't win a decision at this point. He knows that. When he goes back to the corner, Al Savani says, you can't win a decision. You're not going to win on points. It is not possible. You have to knock him out. And Lamada said, I'm trying. I'm trying to knock him out. And he's hitting, hitting them everywhere. When they get in clinches, they're hitting rabbit punches. You know, hitting him in the back, hitting him in the arms, using his shoulders, using his head. But Dettil fights the same way. He, he's used to that. He's beaten Lamada before. And you have to imagine it from Dettil's viewpoint. He's full of confidence at this point. I've beaten this guy already. I've beaten him by unanimous decision in Montreal at the Forum. I fought him 10 rounds. He only won three. There's no way he can beat me. You know, I'm going to win the title. You know, 11th round, 12th round, they're standing toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and, and the crowd at the Olympia in Detroit's going crazy. And and 13th round, people are screaming. And, you know, in Jake's corner, Al Silvani and the other cornerman, his brother Joey, are screaming at him, Jake, you're losing the title. He's going to win the title. You got to keep turning it up. You got to knock him out. And Lamada, it's frenzied at this point. He's doing his best with every punch to knock him out. He's jabbing his way in, but then he just sort of eschews that, gets rid of the jab, and just starts throwing right and left hooks. He's going to the body as often as he can to bring the tail's head down. He'll get in close and rip him inside. He'll hit him two, three, four punches to the head, but the tail's taking it and firing back four, five, six shots. Lamada's like, what do I have to do? But the one thing in boxing that's always true, regardless of who you are, no fighter, no matter how great he is and how great his chin is, can take continuously heavy power shots to the head. It just adds up. And eventually it will catch up with you. So we get to the 11th round, 12th round, 13th round. The fans are going crazy because the fight is close. Jake is coming back. But all the writers at ringside said, well, you know, Laurent Detail's ahead. Laurent. It's about to win the world middleweight title. We're about to have the second world middleweight titleist from France, you know, after Sudan. And they have the 14th round. And the 14th round, Sylvani says, you got to go for it. You got you to gotta go out. You have no choice now, Jake. You have to knock him out or say goodbye to the title. And Jake goes out. And in that round, before the 15th, he plays possum. You know, he's throwing shots, and when Detail's countering and hitting him in the head, he goes back on the ropes. He has his hands up like this, or he'll put his hands down. 
and the tail's not going for it right away. And the tail comes in to land more shots and Lamada springs off the ropes and hits him a bunch of shots, but Lamada misses as many as he's landing. And the tail was ready for it. And Lamada's going all out in the 14th round. He's putting every, you think he's not gonna have anything left. You know, he should say something, save something for the last round, but he's not doing it. He's doing everything he can to put the tail away in the 14th round. And the tail is standing there toe to toe. He's not running. He's not moving around. He's not circling him, which he should have been doing. But that just wasn't the way the man fought. And he stood there and went toe to toe with Jake Lamada. He didn't believe Lamada could hurt him because he couldn't hurt him in the first fight. Lamada landed great shots during this fight, but the tail took them well. He had great balance, great leverage. And he was firing back and giving as good as he was getting. And so when the 14th round ends, it's interesting. The tail, you know, takes a deep breath, sort of sighs, head down, walks back to his corner. But Lamada walks back, head up. He's confident now. It's almost as if he's saying to himself, I got him. I'm going to get him. And it, it, one more round. This is it. This is Lamada's point in his life. You know, there's no tomorrow for Lamada. There's no, I'll fight him again next time. There will be no next time because of the mob. If Jake loses, the mob's like, hey, you lost. Nothing we could do about it. You blew it. We gave you the chance. You won it. You blew it. You're done. And he doesn't want to go through that. So he comes out and he's got to be strategic. You know, his natural inclination is to go there and try to kill Dotil and go all out. But he's been doing that for the whole fight. And Dotil's been slipping so many of his shots. And he's throwing so many wide shots. He's telegraphing them. So Dotil's having no problem, you know, ducking them, sliding with them, slipping them, and countering him effectively every time. Every time Jake misses, Dotil's landing one, two, three counter shots on his head. So Lamont is the effective, Lamont is the aggressor. He's just not the effective aggressor. He's the one coming forward. Detail's the one winning the rounds. And what's happening now is they're getting close. The round, you know, one minute passes. When judges score rounds, they usually score it. They did back then anyways, but you're supposed to score it in three one-minute intervals. So that, that makes it easier to decide who wins the round. So you could say, you know, this guy won the first minute, uh, fighter B won the second minute, but fighter A won the third minute, so he wins the round. Now, Lamada's on the ropes again. He's playing possum. He's trying to, you know, with his hands, he's standing there like he's trying to sucker him. You know, he's trying to do the old thing that Joe Kwinski did with Jack Johnson. He's lifting his hands high. He wants to make Dotil come in and hit him in the stomach so he can move his right leg forward and hit him with a left hook coming in. That's what he wants to do. Wants to do. But the tail's not going for it. The tail's still jabbing him. He's not moving in like that. He, he sees the trap. And so the tail lines a couple shots. He hits Lamada with the right hand, and Lamada starts blinking his eyes. Uh, and he hits him again, and Lamada goes back to the ropes. And he sort of sags. And the tail, as any fighter in the world would thought, he's done. I, I heard him. So he goes in, he lands four, five, six, seven, eight more shots. And when he does it, you know, Lamada hangs on. And then Lamada spins off the ropes. And the till's got to turn. And as he turn, turns, he's greeted with a wide left hook, a right hand, another punch, you know, three, four punches. And the till goes to the far ropes. 
and Lamada hits him another six shot, five shots. It was really the second left hook that took the till out. And eventually he hits him with five shots and the till is hurt. And so he just staggers away. Lamada's got him pressed against the ropes and he's hitting him and the tail just moves up to the side, staggers out, but he's doing it on, like he's sideways. So when Lamada hits him, the, the tail's looking over here and the punch catches him. He doesn't see the punch coming. He just feels it. He gets hit by it because he doesn't see Lamada because he doesn't know where he is. Punches you don't see are the ones that get you out of there. And that's what happened. He didn't see the punch. And Lamada had hurt him, and he was trying to walk away from it, but his hands were down. He got caught with a hellacious wide left hook, and he went down. And we've seen this in boxing so many times. Sonny Liston did this to so many fighters that would walk away. He'd catch them walking away. Remember when Joe Frazier walked away from Foreman, and Foreman caught him with the overhand right to the side of the head. If you don't see the punch, those are the ones that get you out. And he didn't see the punch, and he just slumped to the canvas. People are on their feet going crazy because they're watching the fight, but they're watching the clock. And, you know, it's like there's under 15 seconds to go. Not it's like, sorry. It is under 15 seconds to go. There are 15 seconds left, and they're going 15 seconds. We'll have a new world middleweight champion. I can't believe he's down. I can't believe this. This cannot happen. And he goes down and he's sitting, he's in a sitting position and he's shaking his head. His eyes are rolling. You know, he gets up on one knee, he gets up to all fours, he gets up on one knee, he gets his gloves on the canvas and the referee's counting one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, and he's trying to rise, 10. And if he still counted and went 11, 12, around 12, 13, which would have been 12, 13, so Till rises from the canvas. And he realizes what happens, and his head sinks down to his chest, and he walks to the corner with his cornerman grabbing. There's no argument. He wasn't hard done by. And that's when Angelo watching the film, we were lucky to get a whole copy of it. Angelo says to poor dumb, as I said earlier, poor dumb bastard. Of course, he used another word than bastard, well-known 12-letter word, but said poor dumb bastard. Stayed away for three minutes. If he could only do that, he would have been the undisputed world middleweight champion. And he simply couldn't do it. And you can't really blame him because he wasn't the type of guy that would run. Now, when when um, uh, Oscar De La Hoya fought Trinidad, I had De La Hoya ahead. So I thought it makes sense for him to run. He's already won the fight. And then of course, the way judges are corrupt these days, they didn't give it to him. But that's another story. The Till had no complaints. You couldn't argue about the referee's count because you know, the referee Lou Handler was a well-respected referee. He did his job. He's not supposed to give him a long count. He didn't. It wasn't too fast. It looks too fast on the tape, depending which tape you're watching, but it isn't. 
Dutil couldn't beat the count, and Dutil had no other way of fighting. You can't argue and say, well, you know, he should have danced and stayed away from him. He never fought that way. He was a counterpuncher. He was a cutie. He was a slickster. He was a guy that would get in front of you and give you all these moves, be hard to hit, and then come back and counter you and win on points. He also had some power. But Lamada was indomitable. Lamada would have fought 50 rounds if he'd been allowed to. And when I spoke to Jake, he, you know, uh, I said, did you ever feel bad for him? Because he was only 15 or 13 seconds away. I felt bad for me because I would have lost everything. And Jake did lose everything later on, not just to Ray Robinson. But when I when I met Jake LaMotta at the Hall of Fame, I met, I met him before. I got his autograph and some photos. But when I met him, he was there with, no, Jake was in his late 80s. His wife was in there. I guess his wife was 46, 47. They had an eight-year-old son. He had two children, and uh, two boys and a daughter with Vicky LaMotta. One boy died of cancer, the other in the airplane crash over Canada, Newfoundland. And Jake said, that was God punishing me. That's what the way he felt. He felt when Ray Robinson was pounding him and taking his title in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, February 14, 1951, he felt he deserved that. He felt when guys were hitting him that he was such a bad, mean person that he deserved that. And, of course, that's not true, but that's the way his mindset was. And so it's great to see him with a new wife, young son giving him a new lease on life. His daughter, Christy, he was very close with. And, um, you know, he just said, I wish I wish I had the brains as a young man that I do now, but I was never granted that because I didn't think, I just acted out of anger. But he, you know, Jake's career ends. He opens a club in Florida, goes to jail because it had underage girls there. He's out in a couple of years, becomes a comedian. And then just travels to celebrity circuit. You know, I, when he was at the Hall of Fame, he was in his 90s. And he'd get up on stage and they would say, ladies and gentlemen, the former undisputed world middleweight champion and our favorite fighter here, Jake LaMotta. And the audience would stand up and he would say, hi, how are you? I fought Sugar Ray Robinson so many times. It's a wonder I didn't get diabetes. He would just do a series of jokes. I've been married and divorced three times. My wives only took things from me that started with the letter A, a house, a car, a family, a living. <laughs> you know, uh, that was actually a Willie Pep joke that he used. So he, he would just, you know, talk and jokes in front of a big audience. But if you were lucky like me to sit beside him and Angelo and to hear them talk, I mean, Jake spoke to me in Yiddish as Angelo would. And it was just interesting to see. The one thing that upset me at the Hall of Fame was, and, I, and to me it's heaven on earth, the Hall of Fame, is people would come up to him and just put paper in his face. They wouldn't say, how are you, or it's an honor to meet you. They would come up to him and just go like this, here, and give him a pen. And he would sign it. And I would say, how can you take that from people? He said, that's the way people are. You know, they don't, a lot of people don't have manners. They're boxing fans. They don't know what to say. I, he said, listen, rather than to be angry, I should be happy that they're still interested in me. And Jake always got a big hand. He wasn't a big guy, you know. He was a tiny little guy. But he had tremendous fists, you know, rock hard. And he took my hand once. He said, here, feel my head. I don't want to feel your head. I got a hard head. I believe you have a hard head. 
I said, so do I. He said, how do you get a hard head? And I said, because I'm stupid. But, but you, it's good for your profession. And I, I said, Jake, I love you. I don't want to feel your head. But I had some really great conversations with him. And he told me, for instance, that in the fight with Ray Robinson, he never went over and said, it doesn't count, Ray, because he didn't knock me down. He said that was added in the movie. He said, if you watch the tape of the fight, my lips are shredded, my teeth are knocked out. I couldn't say anything, nor could I stand. I couldn't hold my arms up. They had to get me down to the, carry me to the corner, then carry me to the dressing room. And also, and I've mentioned this before, I'm in Doc, he said, you know how they portray me in the film Raging Bull? I was much worse than that. He said, they were sugarcoating it in the film. So, and he said, but my craziness came from the fact of all the mob pressure that came under me. He said, I was very jealous of having a beautiful wife, Vicky. I shouldn't really have married. I was married once before. He said, marrying a beautiful wife is a blessing, but it's mostly a curse because you never stop being jealous. And, uh, but he was a wonderful figure from back then. He trained very hard. He was very thankful of all this adulation. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's sad, I, I wanted to, because it was business. It wasn't personal with him. It was a little bit with Ray Robinson, but they became friends after. It, boxing is not is not personal. It's business. He genuinely liked Sudan and regretted he didn't wasn't able to develop a friendship with him. He said, "I was sad. I was sad when uh, Laurento Till died in '71. That's way too young. If I'd known he'd been sick, I would have gone over there to visit him." You know, so these are things he regretted. A lot of fighters regret that. He said, we made good money together. These are my friends. So he, he lived to 95. He lived a long life. And, you know, he got to see how popular he was, which was great. Laurenta Till, I think, fought 19 more times after he fought Lamana, but he never again fought for a world title. And as his career went on, and he realized he wasn't going to get another title shot, his love for the game started to diminish and he started to lose more often. But don't let that fool you. Detail was a all-time great middleweight. And I think if he was fighting today, you know, he would do he would do quite well. Because he was great at slipping shots in close. That's a skill not many fighters have, you know. Roberto Duran perfected it. Jack Johnson can do it. But Duran, Lorento Till, you know, and, to stand this close to a guy a foot away and the guy not being able to lay a glove on you, that takes a lot of skill and a lot of focus and discipline. And, and to tell and master that. The converse was Lamada. Lamada thought, you can't hurt me. You could hit me with a sledgehammer. You're not going to hurt me. So I'm, I don't care. I'll let you land the shots. And when you're finished, I'll just beat the hell out of you. And, you know, Lamada ripped him inside and the tail really came on inside as the fight went on against Lamada, but Lamada just, you know, you see his head being hit on a swivel, but he still took it. He still took it. He just would not quit. He, he was the unbeatable, indomitable force. And uh, thank you, Scrapbook. He, Lamada just would not quit. And against Ray Robinson, you see him sprawled out against the ropes. He said, I would have fought till he killed me. I would not have stopped. He said, I couldn't defend myself anymore, but I was certainly not going to quit. You know, so two all-time great fighters. Unfortunately, you can get this on YouTube, but they only show the last round. One clip, 
that's just over two minute shows the last two rounds highlights from the last two rounds if you can somehow get the whole fight watch it because they came out at the beginning of the fight they renewed hostilities from the montreal fight they stood a foot in front of each other and traded shots and what the great thing about it and i spoke to ron howard about this one thing ron howard didn't like about the rocky movies and it's true he said in the rocky movies fighters are throwing thousands of punches around that doesn't happen especially heavyweights he said fighters if you watch closely are looking for openings and trying to feint each other into into position and are picking their shots and that's what these guys were doing and it, it was a beautiful they made it an art form it was a beautifully savage war and and you have to love both guys because lamada retains his title and to tail came within 13 seconds of being the world middleweight champion and for that you got to give him credit as one of the premier middleweights not only of the 1940s and 50s but of all time if you can have a top 10 or top 20 list you got to put laurent to till there because he stands up against any world middleweight champion i hope you enjoyed the show i'm lou eisen and that's been ring talk for today and we'll see you next week and and don't forget this tuesday january 17th the birthday of the greatest fighter and athlete of all time, Muhammad Ali. Thank you, enjoy the rest of your weekend.